Blog Talk Radio. Archangels, Ghosts, and Bigfoot, oh my, it's just another night for Supernatural Girls. Real stories, real answers to life's biggest supernatural mysteries. And now, for another exciting interview with paranormal experts from this world and others, here's your host, paranormal researcher Patricia Baker, on the one, the only, Supernatural Girls. Welcome, everyone, to another exciting episode of Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker, and I'm here with my co-host, Patricia Kirkman, PK. How are you tonight? Fabulous. You know, we've got ready to have some rain here in Arizona. Overcast, cloudy, and we're looking at raindrops any minute. Oh, good. I can't believe it. Your plants will be so happy. We have needed rain. God, isn't that the truth? Those little leaves are so curled up, they don't know what to do. Oh, well, rain is so welcome. Well, I wanted to also mention to everybody, last week, you know, we did one of our Supernatural Health segments, and we had Jane Gresick on to talk about her miracle that happened with scleroderma. And I wanted to tell everybody, look, you don't have to have scleroderma to listen to the show because the show addressed a lot of of strategies and a lot of insight as to how to handle any type of a chronic incurable, so-called incurable illness. So if you missed last week's show because you thought, well, it's not for me because I don't have that particular disease, um, you might want to go back and listen because there was a lot of good advice that Jane gave to everyone, plus her amazing story where she was on the edge of death and it, she was brought back by a repurposed drug that no one in this country had ever even heard of. So it was a terrific show, and Jane is a great interview. She gave a lot of info. So, again, feel free to go back and listen. Anybody who has a chronic illness, cancer, whatever, you can learn a lot from what she had to say on the show last week. So, Miss PK, what we got going here with the numbers? What's happening? Well, we have October at our doorstep, and the best part about it, it has a lot to teach us, but we have to work really harder at this because we're in a retrograde, and anything to do with communication can and will get messed up. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Now, the best part about it is if you pay attention, make some notes if you can, but October is a preview of next year. It shows us what's going on, how to handle certain things, and don't allow yourself to get sidetracked by it because you're going to find you're going to meet people this month that are going to play an important role in you in the coming year for you. So there's going to be a lot of opportunities. Pay attention so we don't want to slide into the negative side. Of it. But it's all about growth, and it's all about family, family-type situations. But also, going along with what we just talked about our guest last week, we also have the fact that anything to do with family and things of that nature are all part of what the sixth universal year 
month is. It's, a, it's showing us alternative medicine, actual other ways of handling things. So if we all start to pay attention to some of these things coming to us, we're going to have a much better chance on our new roadmap because we'll find out October is a preview of next year. You'll get a good handle on it. But remember, attitude is, needs to be one of gratitude as well because there's a lot of things that we could accomplish. The retrograde isn't going to end until the 17th of October. You'll have a shadow period after that. Do yourselves a favor. Don't sign anything unless you double-check it really well and make sure everything is fine. And at the same point in time, anything to do with electronics is subject to fail for the month. But try it afterwards, and it might work just perfectly again. So it's just kind of hold tight, ride the waves, and make it to the shore. That's about the size of it. Wow. Okay. Good advice, as always. That's tremendous. Well, and so also, we'll see. Perfect for alternative medicines. That's the one thing that we've got going this month. Anything to do with alternative medicines. So that Learn, will be helpful. Practice, look at. Yeah, and then after the retrograde has changed, you'll be surprised at how many aha moments we'll have from it. Oh, good. We need those aha moments. Well, let me ask you about this, PK, because uh, there's been a lot of talk about the volcano that has been erupting in La Palma, which is in the Canary Islands, and how that may may have quite a a bad effect on our eastern seaboard. So I know you mentioned also that the six is a water number, so what do you think is happening there? I think because of the retrograde, it's it's kind of dicey. We're gonna, I think we're gonna be brought to an edge where it's yes, we are, no, we're not, and then all of a sudden we're gonna take a breath and think it's okay, and then we're gonna get a jolt out of it. How severe the jolt is going to be, I don't, I, I'm not picking that up, except that I know we're gonna get a jolt from it somehow. Okay. So we just have to. Mm-hmm. Not gonna buy a boat because I think <laughs> I. I can swim well, I think you're pretty safe out there in Tucson. Oh, you never know the way God has been working things of late. We may be in the <laughs> middle of it. <laughs> oh, I'm glad we're up high in New England, and uh, hopefully it, it won't blow in such a way that it, it will create a massive disaster. But that is on a lot of people's minds, and I think a lot of people are feeling mm-hmm. tremendous tension, uh, a lot of darkness lurking in the corners. So anyways, I, I also wanted to share something that is funny, but it's not so funny because it's true. I, I know a lot of our audience listens to Alex Jones. And Alex came out with a comment about Secret Service contacting him about the person in office right now. And mm-hmm. the Secret Service said they're pretty much set up. This is what he announced on his show. Okay, I'm not saying anything that probably you guys haven't heard. But for those who didn't listen to this, he said people uh, who work for the Secret Service were tired of it, that this person in office has regular accidents in his pants and uh, thinks it's hilarious that people have to clean up after him. And he also has a doctor that follows him around with a Pelican suitcase full of medications and syringes and at night, he runs through the halls saying some oh, things they wouldn't repeat. So anyways, it was oh, a pretty, pretty interesting claim. I mean, again, it's funny, but it's not if it's true. And so what I did 
was I got a note from somebody who listens to the show regularly and knows that we have contact with people who worked and still work with Secret Service. But I did contact one of them, and I said, I don't know if you heard Alex Jones, but I have to know, is it true? And he said, it is absolutely 100% true. So that was the word I got. So you guys can take it for what it's worth, but uh, I try to confirm things that I hear, especially on other shows. And Alex Jones has kind of been right on all the way down. In fact, in 2009, he was one of the first to talk about the pandemic and how it was already in play, and he introduced um, a doctor to Jesse Ventura who knew all about it. And they actually did a show about it back in 2009. So anyways... Very interesting, very troubling information, uh, but it's all coming out, and I'm sure eventually it all will be out. So just wanted to pass that on to you guys, and we have a terrific guest tonight. Very, very yes, excited. Yes, we do. <laughs> we have My favorite the psychic guy. lawyer. Sure. Yes, your friend, the psychic lawyer, Mark Anthony, is with us tonight, and he has a brand-new book the afterlife frequency. So we're so happy to have him on the show. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Mark. He's been on the show before, but in case you didn't listen to that show, he is known as the psychic lawyer. He is a fourth-generation psychic medium who communicates with spirits. He is an Oxford-educated attorney who has tried over 100 jury trials and is licensed to practice law in Florida, Washington, D.C., and before the United States Supreme Court. Now, Mark is known as the psychic explorer also due to his extensive background in science, quantum physics, survival of consciousness, near-death experiences, history, archaeology, philosophy, and theology. He examines mystical locations in the U.S. and the remote corners of the world to explore ancient ruins, mysteries, and supernatural phenomena. He's our guy. So we are so thrilled to have him on the show tonight. Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you, PK. Thank you, Patricia. It's an honor to be here. So great to have you, Mark. My goodness. Now, you come from a family of psychics. That must have been fun (laughs) growing up. Yeah, you know, um, to me it was my normal until I started, you know, when I was a little kid, I didn't think anything of it. And as I started getting older, I realized not everybody's mom and dad were like mine, <laughs> you know. And um, and, and even if from from the, the psychic perspective, they were unusual because my father was a Navy SEAL and mm. a NASA engineer. So, you know, he, he was definitely coming from a science-based a very disciplined background. Mom was an artist and a fashion designer, and they didn't do this professionally. This was just organic to them. And so when I was a toddler and I started seeing my invisible friends, mom and dad could see them too. And I remember dad talking to me saying, you know, Mark, you can t- you can tell your mom and uh, your mom and I about this, but don't talk about this outside of the house. People are not going to understand. You know, they're they're going to think. You know, they're going to think you're crazy. And 
you know, once I started first grade, I was five years old. I, I put it together pretty quickly that not everybody's mommy and daddy, you know, saw spirits. So, <laughs> so yeah, I had a had an interesting childhood. You know, it was like oh, I'd come home from school and mom would be like, "I saw a spirit today," and I'd be like, "Oh, that's cool. Do we have any peanut butter? Yeah, honey, it's over there." You know, and that's just sort of our world. You know, and it's funny because. Um, you know, growing up, you know, you know, on, in, on uh, like TV Land and reruns, people be watching, you know, the Brady Bunch, and and uh, you know, I never resonated with the Brady Bunch. I resonated more with like the Adams Family. <laughs> so, yeah, um, all right. <laughs> My favorite, that and Bewitched. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. That that seemed more like our family than you know, um, but but I mean, I'm just 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 joking there, but. Um, the, yeah. These abilities run in in my family, and it, they are a what's known as a recessive genetic trait. In other words, like people who are left-handed, whether you're right-handed or left-handed, is a genetic predisposition. And so, with left-handedness, it can skip a few generations. And it's the same thing with psychic abilities. And but then, when you get two parents that have the same recessive trait, well, then the likelihood of one of their children having having that trait increases. Which mm-hmm. here I am, and um, <laughs> and and so so you know, my parents were really cool about it, and um, it was fascinating. You know, when, when now you know now that they're on the other side, and I look back. Uh, there's not a day that doesn't go by that I just don't give thanks for for the wonderful people that that raised me. You were so blessed. Wonderful. Yeah, you really, really were blessed by that. I mean, how many people in your generation experienced that kind of thing? Most of the people we have on the show, they went through a lot of turmoil because they were the only ones in their family who who really saw what you saw. So, yeah, you are really lucky to have had that. Wonderful. Yeah, I was. And, you know, one of the reasons that my dad was so worried about about me is because his sister, Marjorie, um, was also a psychic medium, as was my father's mother, Grace, and, uh, um, no, his his mother's name was Isabel, and his um, grandmother was named uh, Grace, and um, he always talked about Grandma Grace, you know, in her seances and stuff. But Marjorie was married to this extremely religious guy, and one day he was going to work, he was a machinist in Pennsylvania and he worked at a steel plant in Pennsylvania and she started feeling something horrible was going to happen and she begged him not to go to work and he's like oh you and that voodoo stuff anyway she she persuaded him to stay home they had a big argument and he decided to stay home to humor her and that day a crane was lifting thousands of pounds of steel beams and then the cable snapped and it crushed the machine shop that he worked in and killed everybody in it oh my oh yeah, yeah, oh, and so God. you know, you think think he would have shown mm-hmm. some bit of gratitude. Instead, he felt that the demonic forces or some negativity was at work, and he actually found a psychiatrist to diagnose her as schizophrenic. They oh. forcibly removed her oh, from her home, God. and she was forced into submitting to electroshock therapy oh, for no. over a six-month period. Yeah, they basically damaged her brain to the point where she, she could never perceive spirits again or see the future. And um, and so I remember when my father said to me, he said, Mark, people who see things that others don't get taken away. 
And that that one man that scared me. I was a little boy, and I'm like, you know, but daddy, you know. And he was like, just yeah. listen to me. And then as I got older, and you know, I I, I learned what had happened to my aunt Marjorie, mm-hmm. and I never met her in this world. Uh, the, all the these things that happened to her were were long before I was born. My parents had me later in life. Um, they always said I was their surprise, and uh, apparently I never kept, I never stopped surprising them. Apparently, but but the thing is, um, they they were very concerned about about my well being, and they also knew that uh, that if I was going to talk about it, then they gave me a safe haven to discuss these things, which was with them. So yeah, I'm I'm very very thankful about that, and. You know, it was really cool because Dad's family, they were uh, from Pennsylvania, and they were conservative Christians. They were Baptists. My mom's family, they were of Italian descent. They were from Italy. And mm-hmm. a couple of years ago, PBS did a special called The Italian Americans. And it was a two-night special. It was like four hours long. And they actually did a segment on my maternal great-grandmother, Giovanna, and oh. they referred to her. Yeah, she was known in the Italian community of New York uh, and Little Italy and uh, North Jersey as the woman who knew things. And in in oh, the PBS that. special, they actually talked about her reputation for psychic abilities. Um, and, and it was just amazing. I know it was amazing to see this because you know, you know, the whole family is watching. We're all over the country and on, on the breaks, and we're all texting and calling each other and and all this. Uh, all my cousins and everything. We're like, that's Giovanna, uh, and uh, we knew it was coming, but but we didn't know it was going to be as good as it was. And so I've been able to track this back into the 1890s on and on my uh, both sides of the family. And one of the reasons that I wrote the afterlife frequency is because. My dad, you know, having been a NASA engineer, he said, Mark, Mm -hmm. a mystery is just a question for which we do not yet have the answer, and everything is explainable. And I I took that to heart because the Mm -hmm. spiritual phenomenon, people call it paranormal, they call it supernatural, some people call it hocus-pocus, whatever. The truth of the matter is it isn't hocus-pocus, it isn't paranormal. It's a normal part of the human experience. It's just outside of the realm of a lot of people's understanding. And so the reason that I wrote the afterlife frequency was to explain the different forms of what I call interdimensional communication. That is, the contact between our dimension, in other words, us, with spirits who are in another dimension. And it's not just mediumship. It's near-death experiences, shared-death experiences, deathbed visions, or for people who aren't necessarily mediums or psychics, when they maybe get a dream that felt so real that they felt they talked to a deceased loved one, because they did. And so I saw and discovered that there is a link between all of these, and I wanted to explain how it happens, why it happens, and actually where it happens. Well, that's such Phenomenal. important information. Yeah, it's it's really, it is truly an important uh, book because it's time that we stop being afraid of it or demonizing it. Paranormal mm-hmm. is normal. That's actually our, our tagline, where paranormal is normal. And <clears throat> it's also empowering. And that's also the feeling I came away from with your book 
it's an empowering book to read because you begin to understand there is a bigger picture. And as you mentioned so many times in the book, energy doesn't die. It continues. So you have a lot of really good information in there, really mind-expanding for everybody. Because we've limited ourselves tremendously by keeping the paranormal outside of our normal realm. So it's very, very good that you've, you've done this book and you're talking with us tonight about it. You had some really great stories in there. One of the stories that really touched me was about your dad when you guys were snorkeling. Can you share that? <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, Dad the Navy SEAL, okay? Not just Navy SEAL, but scuba diver, and he was a swimming instructor at the YMCA. Um, wow. You know, Dad taught God, hundreds of kids probably how to swim, and um, I love to snorkel. Um, I always did, and when I was 13, uh, it was during the summer, my parents surprised me, and they said, we're going to the Bahamas for about a week, and um, Dad said, and I'm going to take you snorkeling. Oh, my God. I was just, like, so excited. <laughs> well, when your dad's a Navy SEAL, things are a bit different, okay? Um, and, and my siblings and I used to joke all the time because wherever we'd go, whatever we'd do, before we left the door, he said two things to us. I love you and be aware. That was dad's mantra. Be aware, be aware. Well, he taught me situational awareness. You just don't go plodding into a situation because if you, you know, talk to first responders, you know, paramedics, police, especially um, military personnel, situational awareness is having a, uh, like a spherical attention, sp- uh, attention span. You're aware of what's going on with you all around you, 360 degrees. And dad was really big about that. And so we're in the Bahamas, and, you know, we're going off uh, off the beach, and there's this beautiful coral reef, and we're swimming. And before we went in the water, Dad said, he said, stick close to me. And, And he, as a seal, taught me how to swim and snorkel without making a lot of splashes and noises. Okay, so it's very important to be quiet. You know, the ocean is not a place where attracting attention is always a good thing. And so we're we're snorkeling, and I, I'm just so captivated by the beauty of this coral reef. And if anyone's ever, I mean, I'm sure you've all seen it on TV, but if you've ever had the uh, the chance to go snorkeling at a coral reef and to see the incredible, I mean, the, the indescribable beauty of it, and I got so caught up in this, and I wasn't paying attention, and I got pulled by the current away from the reef, and now I'm in really, really deep water. And I started getting panicky, and I started spa- splashing and all that. And Dad, like, you know, he was, like, zooming right over to me, and he stuck his head up because, you know, when you're snorkeling, you have sign language, you know. And right. so he made this, like, stick your head up. And I stuck my head up. He goes, get in now. Don't look back. Just do what I tell you. And I knew not to question him. And so I started swimming, and then I turned around, and I saw it, this huge shark was uh, closing in on our, our our location, and it was moving like a torpedo through the water right at us. Oh and God. if you want to find oh out what God. happened, you're going to have to read 
the oh, afterlife yeah. frequency. <laughs> and that is a great story, I have to say. Like I, I did want you to at least introduce it to the audience because it was a very heartfelt story that you shared about you and your dad. Obviously, you both made it through, but how you did it was very interesting. And you also talked about the ocean as a very symbolic other world. It's otherworldly, very much like the other side of the veil, right? Yeah, uh, and, you know, I think that's the best way. And people say, well, what's the other side like? You know, um, does it exist? Well, we live adjacent to another dimension, if you look at the ocean that way. And and if you think about it, um, 70% of the Earth's surface is the ocean. So human beings, us and our craziness and our ego and our unending desire to kill each other is only happening on less than 30% of the Earth's surface. And so when you go into the ocean, all of a sudden you encounter creatures that can't exist in our world because they, they, they you know, have to breathe underwater. In other words, you know, fish, okay? You see things and plants and organisms. I mean, when was the last time you saw an octopus slithering down, you know, your street? Okay, so you <laughs> see all these amazing and different creatures, and there's a density to it. And it is as alien to us as the other side is to us. And so I've, I've always liked using the analogy of, of entering the ocean um, to help people understand the difference between our material world and this higher vibration that I refer to as the afterlife frequency. It's a great mm-hmm. analogy. Really, really good one. Very and, good. Yeah, because then it's easier for people to understand it that way. But you also talk about this as that you have proof, and that's very important to people. So why don't we start there with some of the things you identify as proof so that people can really get into this and understand it's not made up, it's real. No, it's not made up. And I, I give a lot of uh, historical examples uh, to explain different types of, of spiritual phenomenon. And, I mean, if for thousands of years there have been accounts of people who have died and then they came back to life with these tales of going through this tunnel into this bright light and encountering deceased loved ones and, and uh, in this light that is so bright yet not blinding, they encounter this vast sense of intelligence and love which can really only be defined as God. And this was baffling people. What, you know, this baffled medical professionals, this baffled religious uh, clerics for thousands of years. What were these resurrections? What were they? And in the 1970s, Dr. Raymond Moody applied the scientific method of, of analytical and dispassionate observation. Let's gather the data. And he developed the term near-death experience. And think about it. When you have a near-death experience, it's like, you know, you're, 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 um, you know when you stretch a rubber band, you go, you know, and then it yeah. snaps back. Mm-hmm. Well, that's kind of what's happening. Your spirit is expanding and touching the afterlife frequency, and then it snaps back, Okay. Um, because, like, when I communicate with spirits, I'm dealing with the people that didn't come back. You know, they've, they've gone into this other dimension. 
And so for the past 40-plus, going on 50 years now, we've had near-death experience research, afterlife research, and survival of consciousness research. And between the International Association for Near-Death Studies and also um, the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation, NDERF, and now you have IONS, the Institute of Noetic Sciences, and then you also have Spiritual Awakenings International. You have all these different organizations which are studying this phenomenon, not to mention Dr. Bruce Grayson, who's one of the founders of IONS. He is head of the Department of Perceptual Studies at the University of Virginia. Dr. Gary Schwartz is the head of parapsychology at the University of Arizona. But it's not just in the U.S., all over the world now. And NDERF, the the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation, they have a database. And what's fascinating is that near-death experiences, they all have, uh, no matter where you are, whether you're from Iran, China, North Korea, Australia, um, Zimbabwe, Argentina, there are the same factors involved in all of them that people experience. And so now we, we're getting objective analysis and proof that your consciousness survives physical death. And this is very exciting. I mean, certainly people of faith have believed this for thousands of years, okay, right. but mm-hmm. but... You know, faith has been in, on one side of the wall, and science has been on the other, and I believe now the wall needs to dissolve. And we need to, um, and that's and one of the other reasons that I wrote the afterlife frequency was to bridge that divide mm-hmm. between faith and science. Because for thousands of years, people of faith have said that the soul, who and what we are, our spirit, pre-exists the body, comes into the body, lives on after the body dies. We know from the laws of thermodynamics and physics, energy is neither created nor destroyed, only transferred from one form to another. So based on um, all this research that I've done, um, and also not just on near-death experiences, but also on quantum physics and, and on consciousness, um, I developed a term to explain what we really are. We are pure consciousness which is eternal electromagnetic energy and the term is the electromagnetic soul and that's one of the key concepts in in my new book uh in fact scientists Mm -hmm. have already started using it they're calling it the ems and it's because our brain operates on electrical impulses but the brain does not create consciousness it merely hosts it Think of your brain like a computer hard drive. Did your computer hard drive create the operating system? Did it create the data on it? No, it merely hosts it. And so if you're, you know, if you're linked to the cloud or Dropbox or whatever and your hard drive crashes, that information gets uploaded to this cloud. Similarly, when we physically die, the host, which is the organ that we call the brain, ceases to function, but the electromagnetic soul, energy, neither created nor destroyed, only transferred from one form to another, transfers to a higher vibrational frequency, which I refer to as the afterlife frequency. Mm-hmm. Now, when, when you speak with people that have 
past. Did they also, have you encountered anyone who gave you more information about this, who was able to help you dissolve this wall? Oh, a lot, a lot. Um, and, and it's been, see, I've probably, oh, my gosh, I've probably d- conducted roughly 15,000 readings in my life. A lot, and yeah. Yeah, and, you know, in the individual readings, you know, like the the phone readings, um, mostly, and and when I, you know, when when we're not having a, um, you know, a plague, um, you know, I do I do personal readings, but most of the readings I conduct are on the phone, and you're going to get half a dozen or more spirits coming through for you. So, you know, we were trying to figure it out, and I've probably interfaced with well over a hundred thousand spirits uh, throughout my lifetime, and it's kind of boggling, you know, when you think about that. But yeah. they transmit things to me to help me understand these things and you know because i know a lot of publishers say oh i don't want some book that's channeled no my book isn't channeled okay because i've seen some of these so-called channelers that sit there and talk in these goofy voices and it you know and it's funny because why is it that all these channelers why are all these spirits only have english accents have you ever noticed that <laughs> they all have, oh yes it's like oh so so nobody with a no there's no no russian spirits apparently have died or communicate or nobody from south america it's the only people with these really you know fake um british accents and because i've seen so much of that stuff and i've seen real channelers okay and they're they're very impressive but there's a lot of them out there and they talk in these ridiculous voices and and uh they never give anything beyond fortune cookie philosophy as as you know as anything and so that's why you know i too am skeptical when i approach something but when spirits mm-hmm. communicate with me and they start explaining to me or i get the impression um of what they're trying to convey about this and on a number of occasions and it doesn't happen very often um but it's extremely exhausting when it does they can give me what it feels like to be them and i can only handle it for not even five seconds it is the most it's the most incredible sensation because suddenly i feel like i'm part of everything everywhere and it's like my body has no substance no feeling um it's kind of like when you're underwater like in the ocean and you, mm-hmm. you don't feel your body you're just sort of you know floating without that that uh, material world attachment and it's just incredible but it's exhausting and and uh, the way i describe it is is it's like i'm a single wire that's suddenly trying to handle all the electricity going through Manhattan at once. In other words, it's just too much. And I've come to understand what that means, is that our brain, which is an organ, obviously, is designed for finite, limited material world perception. Our spirit is an immortal living being, and when we die and our EMS leaves our body, and connects with all these other souls that I call the collective consciousness. Um, it's kind of like plunging into the ocean, but it's a sea of souls. And that's why it's so overwhelming, because I'm getting just a taste of of touching infinity through a finite perceptive device, meaning our brain. And it's exhausting. So I, I know I'm going off into some really esoteric stuff here, but no, it's very but, important, Mark. Yep, because it's this interesting. Is, yes, 
Yeah, it's very interesting, and it's also, for a lot of our audience, I think this is new information, and that's what our audience really likes, Mm -hmm. is to hear these types of experiences, because you're touching an energy that is so much bigger, and yet you're still in a small vessel, like all of us are. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, it's, it's because we're all energetically interconnected. And we hear that all the time. Oh, we're all one. We're all brothers and sisters. Da, 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 da. You know, and everyone says that, and it's great and all that. And, <laughs> yeah, right. And, you, well, and, and it's also true. It. Well, it's, it's like mm-hmm. traditionally uh, science has been split into two branches, biology and physics. Biology is the study of organic um, matter, in other words, living organisms, and physics is the study of inorganic matter, and energy. But we know that everything is composed of molecules, which in turn are made of atoms, which now are made of electrons, protons, and neutrons. And thanks to the realm of quantum physics, we now know that electrons, protons, and neutrons are in turn made from a smaller particle known as quantum which is pure electromagnetic energy. And for the physics people listening, yes, an electron is technically quantum because an electron is one eighteen hundredth the size of, an, of a proton. So there, I've said that for them. But what this means, <laughs> uh, Patricia, <laughs> well, because, you know, no matter what I say, I always get somebody like, nee, 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 nee. you know, anyway. So, <laughs> I love it. I love the way so, on a subatomic level, Everything is electromagnetic energy, so there is no difference between biology and physics. Everything in our material world dimension and our universe is at the most basic level electromagnetic energy. That means the air we're breathing, us, our bodies, the chairs we're sitting on, the radio waves that this show is being broadcast on, guess what? At the subatomic level, they're all the same form of energy. But we also know that everything has a different vibrational frequency. So the chair that you're sitting in is vibrating, but not at the same level that you are because you are a living being with an electrical field going through you. And so when your body ceases to function, your electromagnetic souls now released from this lower, slower, denser container and then shifts to this higher vibrational frequency, which once again I call the afterlife frequency. And so with communicating with spirits, they helped me to understand this, and I started seeing that. And so then I began to research, and it's like, oh, my God. This is what it is, because I'm seeing quantum physicists. I know I would get this, these feelings and these, uh, these. I said, this is what it seems to be that they're telling me. Then I'd research it and find that this is what quantum physicists are saying. And, and so I always find that really fascinating. You know, I come up with something, and then it's like, wow, there really is the science to back this up. And so these are some of the factors in, in my methodology for writing the book, but like, like PK and, and Patricia, like you said, you know, there's a lot of stories in the book. Why? Because I'm not going to inflict on anyone a boring book. I had enough <laughs> of that in the practice of law. Oh, my God, reading these statutes and all this drudgery. And then in law school, you know, reading books like real estate and basic income taxation and all that. And, yes, it's important and there's data in there and all that. 
but but a lot of these things are written by professors and judges that have brilliant legal minds but absolutely no gift for writing or keeping anyone's attention and uh well maybe 2 or 3% of them but you know for the rest they don't and the mm-hmm. thing is you know I want to be able to teach people and, and I'm joking there sort of um I'm joking but the thing is I want to be able to teach people these these complex concepts but in a way that anyone can understand it and then then illustrate mm-hmm. it with a story that you can relate to and that's what makes it an enjoyable book that was boring i'm sorry you've ever written anything. i said i don't think you've ever read, written anything that i consider boring and it's like going to one of your events and being there and listening to you talk with different people how you pull all of it together and all of a sudden you look at the faces it's like all this wild situation that they're so amazed by what they're getting from everything absolutely phenomenal well thank you i I appreciate that and uh you know it's funny because when i was a a kid i wanted to be a priest you know and, and it's not unusual um growing up um as a medium being drawn to the spiritual but then mm-hmm. it was like, oh, there's so many rules and regulations. And, <laughs> and then when I was a teenager, it's like, you, you can't do what now? <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, so it's like, all right, no, that's totally out. And then I thought, well, there's too many rules and regulations. So, you know, so I end up going to, to law school, okay? Talk about, you know, uh, rules and regulations. But it's fascinating mm-hmm. because I've always been interested in theology and philosophy and archaeology, because I wanted to be an archaeologist. My parents were like, you want to be an archaeologist? They don't make any money. You know, and <laughs> um, <laughs> but so what I did is on my vacations, I would go and visit archaeological sites and ancient ruins and mystical places. I mean, I remember when the first mm-hmm. time I, I went to Stonehenge, I was like, oh, my God. I was just like just loving it, just loving it. And um, it was so funny because – here I am, I'm at Stonehenge, and all of a sudden I hear these American tourists talking really loud. This is it? It's not that big. I thought it would be. You know, they're going on and on and on, criticizing it, and I'd had about enough, okay? Because I could see all the Europeans and the Brits, you know, all the, you know, because Stonehenge is in southern England, for people who may not know, and they're all giving them that disdain. And I looked at them, I said, do you have any idea what you're looking at? And they, they, they stare at me. I said... This, we believe, was made was constructed 4,500 years ago. That's about the time that the great pyramids in Egypt were being constructed. Mm-hmm. Secondly, we still can't figure out how these monoliths, which apparently were mined in the, the country that we call Wales, which is 150 miles from here, they got them here. Secondly, mm-hmm. it's lined up to to synchronize with the seasons of the year. The sun will appear there during the spring equinox, there during the summer solstice and all that. I said, and the people who built this figured that out 45 centuries ago. And they're just staring at me. I go, what did you expect? A Steven Spielberg spotlight coming from <laughs> heaven? I mean, come yeah, on. Probably. You know? Yeah, you know, and they're all like, staring at me. Like, We're, you know, and the thing is, though, and, and, and it, it, because people going there and going, they're complaining about it. It's like, look, if, if you're not interested in something like this, then don't come to see it, okay? Mm-hmm. But if you're going to visit something like Stonehenge, learn about it. Because the thing is, when you do 
see a wonder like that and you've read about it, to me when I look at Stonehenge, yeah, we know something about it, but to me it creates more questions than answers and the mm-hmm. questions lead us then on a quest to discover more. And we may never discover these answers, or we may. You know, and, and to me, that's always been something that just fascinated me. That's why I'm interested in so many different things. It's like, well, how does that happen? Why does this work? How did the Egyptians build this? You know, why, how, like when I was in Central America, and I was visiting various sites in, in, uh, uh, of Mayan, uh, Mayan ruins, and mm-hmm. they, they built these incredible pyramids and these structures and all this. I mean, Chichen Itza alone is just in, incredible. But I was at um, Kuhunlich and Zabanche and then some other areas. They did all this without metal tools or the wheel. And I'm like, okay, they did this without – and, of course, there's the people, oh, well, aliens came and did it. All right, assuming that the aliens didn't. It's not like the Mayans sat mm-hmm. there and said, you know – we don't have metal tools. In fact, we don't even know what metal tools are, so we don't know that we don't have them. They figured it out. See, human beings were yeah. no less clever 500 or 5,000 years ago. All right? They figured it out. Maybe they didn't have the wheel. They came up with something else to move these things. And then, of course, maybe the Palladians came from another you know, uh, solar system and did it for them. But assuming that they didn't... Um, I, that's what I always find fascinating about studying ancient ruins and, and ancient mysteries. When you There's go there, fun. Mark, let me yeah. ask you a question. Like, for example, you were talking about Stonehenge, and did you contact any of the spirits that were still there? Or did you sense anybody from long ago was still there? Not at Stonehenge, but at other places I have. And... Sometimes it's not real pleasant. Like um, when I was 19 years old, I was in uh, Germany, and um, I was, and I was, you know, I was a student, and I was with a bunch of my my college friends. You know, we were all there on a study program, and so we'd been drinking and partying at the Hofbräuhaus House in Munich. You know, because you have to when you're 19, you got to drink till you know you pass well, of out. Of course, <laughs> yeah, that's course. you know part of you know. <laughs> So the next morning, we get the you know brilliant idea to go visit Dachau concentration camp. Oh, now boy. I've always been mm-hmm. fascinated in it with World War II, but you know, and see now if I did this, I would be prepared. All right. Well, here I am, a 19-year-old medium, and I'm hungover, and hungover isn't even the right word for how I was feeling. And so we start walking around Dachau, and I'm seeing the crematorium and the gas chambers and all this. And suddenly I feel and I'm seeing surrounding me all these emaciated people with their their eyes, like their sunken faces. And I can see the black and white garb, you know, the striped garb they're wearing and this shrieking. Mm -hmm. And I'm surrounded by all these people that had died there. Now, I don't necessarily think the spirits are hanging out there. And I know a lot of my colleagues are going to argue with this. But matter retains vibration. And when you have a place in Dachau, 40,000 people were slaughtered there, were exterminated right. there, were murdered there. Okay, that's a pretty heavy-duty vibration. I'm picking up on this. And I wasn't, like, ready. I wasn't prepared for this. And I remember I just, like, fell to my knees and burst into tears. So all my college friends like, dude, what is your problem? And luckily there was a friend of mine 
um, from my hometown, and he knew about me and he knew about my family. His name mm-hmm. was Dave. Dave came and he like he stuck his hand underneath my armpit, pulls me up, goes, "All right, dude." we're out of here. <laughs> and he just like um, pulled me and got me on a bus and he goes, look, I don't know what happened, but something was going on with you there. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, um, and he knew that. And so I went there and I picked up on what I call a residual energy echo, the, the vibration oh. that, that mm-hmm. was there. Oh, goodness. Yeah. That makes sense. That does. I had to be very obviously. horrified. And you know, for the for the benefit of the listeners, um, the the stories I've been telling, with the exception of the shark, none of this is in the book. These are all things uh, either in in my other books or stuff that I talk about in lectures. Because um, there are a lot of stories in the new book that that I want people to enjoy by reading. Um, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, because you know, uh, one of my favorite judges. Okay, I was crashing on judges earlier. There was this judge named Learned Hand. I mean, what kind of name is that, Learned Hand? You've got to be a judge when your parents name you Learned Hand. And, and yeah. he wrote the most – and he's one of the biggies in American jurisprudence. Yeah, he, he came up with all these, you know, illegal maxims and doctrines and things that we're still using, you know, uh, probably 70, 80 years after he died. And he was a beautiful writer. I mean, like reading his opinions were like a work of art. Well – one day I was doing my homework in law school and I'm struggling with the internal revenue code because that was our that was the class and I couldn't make heads or tails out of it and I got a headache and, and I was just frustrated and I'm sitting in the law library and I look over and there's this book about learned hand <laughs> and I pull it open and it like it like magically opens to this one page where he wrote about the internal revenue code and he said that it is a fantastic labyrinth where the words dance before my eyes in a meaningless perception, a procession of cross-references and exceptions. And I burst out laughing because if Learned Hand had a hard time reading the Internal Revenue Code, I was in good company. That's for sure. (laughs) That's for sure. (laughs) Amazing. <laughs> so you did have that experience at Dachau, and what about some of the other ancient sites? Because they are still so mysterious to us, whether it's the Egyptian pyramids or the three that we're familiar with, or the one new one that's the oldest one, Saqqara, that they found all kinds of things underneath oh, and yeah. inside. So I was just wondering, I know some people have encountered uh, adepts and things like that that appeared to them in the desert and warned them to stop opening the tombs because it was letting all of these entities loose that were there from Egyptian magic from so long ago and meant to guard them. So I know that some people have had experiences like that, like historian Paul Brunton, but I was wondering if you had anything happen to you that was similar when you were in any of those ancient sites around the world. Well, I, d- I did have an interesting experience at the Tower of London. You know, and the Tower of London used to be where the British royal family lived. And technically, they could still stay there, but I don't think they would. Um, and, <laughs> and, you know, it, the, but the Tower of London had another aspect to it, too. If you were being taken to the Tower, that was bad. That was real bad. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you were imprisoned and all that. And... So I was in England, and I had a day off. I was over at the Arthur Finley College, uh, 
and I had a day off, and so I thought, I want to go to the Tower of London. And it was the perfect day, perfect London day. It had to be 45 degrees and drizzling. <laughs> it was just, you know, miserable English, perf- perfect day to be at the Tower of London, you know. And, and um, I'm, I'm walking around, and all of a sudden I start thinking about Henry VIII, and then I'm thinking about, you know, Henry VIII had six wives, okay. And the way to remember them is uh, divorced, beheaded, died, divorced, beheaded, survived, <laughs> okay? So I'm walking around. <laughs> yeah, it's like these women were stupid enough to fall in love with this guy. Oh, that would never happen to me. Newsflash, it would, and it did. Okay, so right. <laughs> I'm thinking very heavily about Anne Boleyn, Anne Boleyn. And Anne Boleyn was um, um, a very famous wife of his. She was wife number two. Um, and she was the one that was beheaded. She was also the mother of Queen Elizabeth I, who mm-hmm. basically turned England into a major world power. So I'm walking around, I'm getting this whole Anne Boleyn, Anne Boleyn, and, I, and I'm thinking, well, I know that Henry VIII had her beheaded, but I wasn't sure if it was at the Tower of London. I wonder if it was. And so I sit down on this bench, and it's drizzly, and all of a sudden I get this weird feeling that I need to, turn to my left and look down and I did and there's this glass sign this big thick glass sign and it's etched in the sign this be the site where Queen Anne Boleyn was beheaded by order of King Henry VIII and I'm looking at this and the only thing missing the only thing missing was the soundtrack going like (laughs) (laughs) and like I'm I'm half freaking out and half laughing and then really annoyed that there was nobody there with me to like you know um, take my picture of you know the the look on my face but um but um, then I realized like oh my gosh so that's why I was thinking about Anne Boleyn so much. And so um, I went and, uh, you know, asked uh, some of the guards that were there, where's Anne Boleyn buried? And they said, well, you can't really go to her grave by dead. Um, and it's in this uh, chapel. And they didn't, they won't let you take pictures in there, but you could go up mm-hmm. to it. And I just, I knelt down and I just put my hand on, on the stone and I just kind of felt her there, you know. It's just, mm. it, it was it was really, really quite nice. So, yeah, I've had experiences like that. I mean, you know, if the show were another couple hours, I could go through all those. But I, I, I thought that would be a fun story, especially after Dachau. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. I, I lucked out. I, get, I had a sunny day the day I was there. <laughs> you got the rain, I got the sunshine. But I didn't get the vibrations you got. I'll trade. <laughs> Yeah, well, I think I would have liked the sunshine. I mean, it was just, you know, it's like I was there, this is the weather, just deal with it, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and, you know, that's a lot of thing, to, uh, a lot of it, too, is uh, when you're traveling, you've got to make allowances that not everything's going to be like the postcard picture, you know. Well, Sometimes sure. it's going to be raining. Yeah, I mean, I've been right. in the Amazon, I've been in jungles in Southeast Asia, Central America, and the Car- Caribbean. Um, there's a reason they call them rainforests because it rains. And not only does it rain, it's like intense. And then when it's not raining, it's really hot. <laughs> okay. Um, but if you want to see these things and experience this, you've got to put up with it. And, right. and that's just, just part of it. Well, Mark, there's been you know, a lot of people talking on our show about objects of power, ancient ones. Have you ever encountered that in your travels where you – 
you found something or someone showed you something that truly had an ancient power to it? Um, actually, when I was at the British Museum, um, there was this section that used to be George III's library. And for all the nastiness we feel about George III, he certainly had a great library. And there was this um, elderly chap. He was sitting there, and he had these artifacts. There was three of them. And, um, and you know, people were going up and looking at them. And he goes, would you like to touch them? And there was three different things, and I touched them. And um, psychometry is when you hold an object and you tune mm -hmm. into the vibration of the object, and then you can discern information from that. And I said, okay, this one is from Egypt, and this one was used for this. This one has a Middle Eastern feel, probably Babylon, but I feel more Assyria. And I started explaining it. And then this one, and he looked at me and goes, how do you possibly know that? Mm. And I realized I was picking up on the energetic vibration of each of them, and they were very, very powerful objects. And and I explained to him, I go, well, you know, I'm a medium, and this is what's called psychometry. And he looks at me and goes, really? <laughs> you know, with that British disdain of, you know, where they raise one eyebrow. But then he goes, but you do seem to know quite a bit about these. And... um also, when I was um, in, at the British Museum and I was going up to mummies, um, ah, I, I remember there was a couple people, they were like, oh, look at it, look, it's all dried. I go, you know, this this is a person, or this this is, was somebody. Show some mm -hmm. respect. You know, and I probably shouldn't do that, but I do. I mean, it's like, come on, you know, this this was a person. And I just, like, got this connection for a second. And I really got mm -hmm. it when I was looking at Tutankhamun's treasures. Um, in, in of all things, it was this crown that he wore, but it wasn't like the real fancy crown. It was like they said this was his day-to-day -day crown. You know, I mean, he was the pharaoh, so he'd go out and and um, and I, I, I tears came to my eyes. I felt this profound sense of sadness. And I just got the sense that, yeah, he may have been Pharaoh of Egypt, you know, uh, considered to be a god on earth, but there was a profound sadness. He was only 19 years old uh, when he died, um, mm -hmm. and it appears that his life was not a happy one. Um, so, so those are some of the examples of when I've encountered ancient objects, and those were the residual energy echoes that I, that I was uh, getting from them. That's very That's amazing. No, because they've said a lot about how he died, that that is a mystery still. Some mm -hmm. say it was some type of chariot accident. Some say he was murdered. Were you able to pick up on any of that? I tend to be in the murder camp. And, yeah, me um, too. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. It's, it, it, well, what happened was, oh, my gosh, this would take hours to explain, but um, his his widow who probably was his sister or half-sister, she wrote letters to uh, the king of the Hittites. And the Hittites were in what is now um, Turkey. And we know that she mm -hmm. wrote them because when the Hittite capital was on earth, Hattusis, they actually found the letters that she wrote. And she said, my, my husband has died, I have no son, and I will not be forced to marry a servant send me one of your sons. And the king of the Hittites wrote her back, 
and, and they found another letter where she basically re reiterated that and forced to marry a servant she was the queen of Egypt well apparently the king of the Hittites sent one of his sons accepted the proposal of marriage and he never made it something happened okay and it's not like he was walking by himself he would have gone with you know bodyguard probably a thousand yeah, whole on to people yeah, but here's, here's what's interesting about that not only did he not make it but right after that Egypt and the Hittite Empire plunged into a 20-year war okay so that's very suspicious, isn't it? Here they are on the verge of an alliance where the prince of the Hittites will marry the queen of Egypt. That should be an alliance. So what does that mean? Well, if I was going to make an assumption, this would mean that elements in Egypt that did not want this to happen had him murdered or ambushed along the way, triggering the Hittites to attack. And yeah. then... Reasonable. We do know that Tutankhamun's widow, Ankasanamun, was married to the Grand Vizier, whose name was I, A-Y, a servant. He was a servant to the king. He was also old enough to be her grandfather. And he, oh, became, yeah, he became Pharaoh, and then Ankasanamun disappears from history. We have not found her tomb, her mummy any record of her so this to me looks like Tutankhamun was done away with because oh gosh this just would take too long to explain and um, he was done away with his wife knew what was going on did not want to marry the Grand Vizier tried to get the Hittites to come to her rescue I and his um, operatives um, thwart that from ever happening Egypt ends up in a major war. He marries her, becomes Pharaoh because he marries her, then has her assassinated. And I have felt that, I, uh, I firmly believe that's what happened. Yeah, what treachery, huh? Yeah, treachery. and you know, the, the thing is, if the Pharaoh were murdered, and if his wife were murdered, it's not like there was any legal mechanism to go have these people arrested. All right. the people of yeah. Egypt would know is that Pharaoh died, and, and he went on to the afterlife, and then his wife died, and they had a new Pharaoh. And exactly. what was going on? The, right. Yeah, and, it, and if I, the Grand Vizier, and he most likely had the support of the military, bada-bing, bada-boom, that would be it. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Totally, totally logical. Makes tremendous sense that mm. that is what happened. So, interesting. Yeah. But, but you continue to travel the world these days and, and look for more ancient sites? Well, um, yes. Um, right now, though, you know, with COVID going on, um, I haven't been doing too much traveling, but it also gave me a chance to start my show, The Psychic and the Doc, which is every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. And my co-host is Dr. Great. Pat Vasily. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah, Dr. Pat's awesome to work with, and she's the founder of the Transformation uh, Network. Um, it gave me time to to complete my work on the Afterlife Frequency, which is now now on sale. Um, it gave me time to work on uh, various lectures and other projects. Mm -hmm. And so, 
So, yeah, I decided that, you know, you've got to shift. You've got to adapt with the times. And, and um, you know, it's like one of my heroes, heroes sort of hero, Sir Isaac Newton, in 1665, the Great Plague um, came, flooded through, through the British Isles, through Europe, a terrible plague. And he was a science guy, so he went into self-quarantine. And while in quarantine, he invented calculus. He invented the laws of optics, he invented the laws of motion, and he refined the laws of gravity. And I'm like, wow, talk about making productive use of your time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. You're at the top of that list. Well, Mark, yeah. we have a, a, a caller who has a question for you, so let me get them on the air. This is uh, area code 412. So, hi, you're live on the air. Who's calling? Hi, my name is Keisha. Hi, Keisha. Do you have a question for Mark? Um, I was just saying it's like he could pick up somebody maybe in spirit or something that may be trying to connect with me. Well, let's see what we got. Okay, I'm getting a female energy coming through. She feels like she's connected to you through your mother's side of the family. I'm not saying it's a mom, but it's someone that's connected to you through your female side of the family. And what I'm getting with this woman, I feel nauseated like I want to vomit. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. The sensation of nausea and vomiting could mean that she may have been having difficulty eating and or holding down food prior to passing, but sometimes nausea is also a cancer indicator. Not always, Mm. it's not, that doesn't always mean cancer, but it could be a cancer indicator. But the more that I work with her, I am feeling a burning sensation down my entire esophagus, my th- my throat, esophagus, all the way into my stomach. And my I'm also That's your grandmother. Was that your mom's uh, mom? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, super nice lady. Super nice lady is what I'm getting. Does that make sense? Mm, I don't know if she was nice. <laughs> well, or it could when be I'm... my aunt because she died from lung cancer too. Well, hold on. But she was totally nice. Was she super nice? Was she a little bit on the plump side? Yep, yep. Okay, yeah, because this lady's a little bit on the plump side, and she laughs a lot. She Uh laughs a lot. Okay, and, 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 yeah, I get super nice, and she keeps saying, peas, porridge, hot, peas, porridge, cold, peas, porridge, in the pot, nine days old. Okay, now that's (laughs) kind of a nursery rhyme. We've all heard that. Um, Okay, is there something about peas? Like green peas that would make sense to you in any way? Like you love them, you hate them. She used to make yeah. peas. Okay, so we we used to go down summer. In the summertime, we would go down south, and they would always cook peas. They would go out there and pick them, and oh, I loved them though. Yep. Per- perfect. <laughs> Bingo. We know we got your aunt. Let's see what yep. she wants you to know. Um, okay. She said, when you're smiling, when you're smiling, the whole... You know what it is? She said that you smile a lot. And she mm-hmm. said that even though you've been feeling down lately, she said you're very good about working your way through it and that you smile a lot. And also, Tisha, a lot of people... See, what I get about your aunt, a lot of people looked up to her for inspiration and advice. And she may not have been like the most educated or worldly person but she had this innate sense of wisdom and common sense that more than made up for all of that. And she said that the baton has been passed to you. 
So now you're the person that a lot of people look up to. But she's also telling me that this is a lot of, it's a, quite a bit of responsibility. And she said that when you feel that it's kind of dragging you down, she said, stand up straight and realize it's an honor. Okay? So don't let it get you down. And she says, stop worrying about money. She goes, God, you're always worrying about money. She goes, it's going to come. It will come. Okay. She said, just keep moving. Just keep moving. She said, as long as you have two good feet, two good hands, and a mouth. And she goes, girl, you have a mouth, and you know how to use it. And she doesn't mean that in a mean way. She, 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 she said that you have a really good way of, of getting your point across, articulating, and putting forth what you need people to understand. And she said, as long as you take joy in those gifts, you will never want for anything. So that's what she wants you to know. Okay. Thank you. Fabulous. Did you oh, know she, something? She usually always comes through, too. I don't, for some reason. Well, she, she always she's, me. She is a spiritual influence in your life, okay? Um mm-hmm. What's with pearls? Pearls. Pearls are the birthstone for the month of June. This could be birthdays, anniversaries, or events connected to you in any way or someone close to you within the month of June. It's also a trigger for a female name that starts with J. It could be June, Jean, Jane, Jody, Janet, something like that. Um, it could be either or or all of the above. Her name was Jean. Bingo. There you go. So when a spirit gives us a message of an explanatory or advisory nature, and she explained about you being, you know, the batons passed you, you're the one people look up to, okay? She also is explaining to you that this is, um, yes, it's a responsibility, but embrace it. And um, so that's the advice and explanation. And then when they follow that up with an objectively verifiable fact, which is her name, Jean, that verifiable fact is how the Spirit's letting you and I know that we have properly received and interpreted the message. Also included in that is she's a spiritual influence. She's not your guardian angel, but she's like a guide. So that's why she comes through so frequently. And she keeps saying, girl, you need to listen. <laughs> so I'm laughing the way she says it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, she said you need to take care of your feet better. Is there something going on with your feet or your toes? Uh, not really. They just look a mess. Oh, okay. <laughs> not really a mess. I probably need to do uh-huh. something with them. Girl. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing wrong with them. Okay. Yeah. 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 Let, let's take Let's take care of our toes. Let's take care of our uh, toenails. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. So I'll leave. <laughs> I'm laughing. She, I like her. She is just. She really is super nice. But let me tell you, she was all happy and smiles. But if she needed you to know something, that smile. She, okay. Yeah, the lemonade could turn a little less sugary. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And and it's mm-hmm. not because you know, because that's how she wanted to get the message through to you. Okay. Okay. So, all right, all okay. right. Many blessings. Thank you, Tisha. Thank you so much. Oh, you Thank are most you welcome. God bless. Okay. Bye bye. You're always oh, right on. Fabulous. Yeah, it was great reading. <laughs> Thank you. Well, we got to. Um, 
Right, but I'm not going to tell that story. (laughs) No, (laughs) I was just going to ask you a question about it. Okay. The only question, the different ones have talked about going there, but the ability to breathe, is that an issue for people not to make the trip, or is there something they can do to strengthen their lungs to be able to make the trip? Well, the, it's the same thing as if you go to a place like Colorado and all of a sudden mm-hmm. you, you go to a mile high or even higher okay. elevation. You know, because, um, you know, I've seen people that, oh, we're going to Machu Picchu or we're going to Pikes Peak in Colorado, mm-hmm. and they're not in good physical shape to begin with. And then they get there and they're on the verge of or even have a heart attack, Okay. You got to realize if you're going to go to a place that has like an eight, nine, ten thousand foot elevation, the air is going to be extremely thin, and it takes a month for your body to produce enough red blood cells to compensate for the oxygen deprivation. And oh, okay. the best, yeah, the best way to deal with it is is to drink um, is a stimulants. Because the stimulants, which in the, the Andes, they drink coca tea or they drink really strong coffee. And coca mm. tea is made from coca leaves, which is what they make cocaine from. And, oh. Uh, yeah, well, I remember, well, it was funny is a couple of years ago when he visited Bolivia, which, you know, has these mm-hmm. great altitudes as well, Pope Francis drank coca tea and of course the media the pubs drinking cocaine tea you know and it's like well no it's not cocaine tea it is coca tea and it's part i know i know it's like but but it's part of the culture there and i remember like talking to to the locals and i said well you know this coca tea and they're and they're like they said nothing gets done here without it and the funny thing is in in the andes and these high mountainous regions you don't see anyone smoking nobody smokes there's not enough oxygen. In other words, I mean, you know, you're not, you're not going to be filling your lungs with smoke when it's hard enough just breathing. And also the people that are indigenous to this area have, by our standards, abnormally large lungs, which it makes sense. They've adapted to it. Um, yeah, so if you're going to go there, and I'll never forget, you know, we're, we got there and, and we're at a restaurant. They go, would you like coffee or coca tea? And you know, and I, I, you know, at the time I was practicing law, and I'm like, oh my god, I'm a criminal defense lawyer, and they're offering me coca tea, and it, but it's legal here, okay? And so you know, I'm drinking it, and it's like, you know, and the thing is, I was having altitude sickness, and I was like dizzy and disoriented, and I'm drinking it, and I go, this tastes like chamomile tea, and then like five minutes later, I say, boy, this isn't like chamomile tea at all. Oh my god, I feel like going mountain climbing, and they're like, oh my god, I am like speeding out, and all of a sudden I realize. But I have my mental clarity back. And the thing is, what it does, by speeding up your metabolism, it helps you metabolize oxygen faster. So it counterbalances the altitude sickness. And so, like, when I've been in places in, in Colorado, another, you know, we just drink, like, espresso, okay? So you don't necessarily mm-hmm. have to drink, you know, cup of tea or, you know, you drink a power drink. And you still got to be careful with that stuff in, in any event. And I'm not prescribing or telling anybody what to do. I'm telling you what, what I have done. And it was mm-hmm. funny because, so here we are in Peru, and the coca tea is, like, you know, what we're drinking. So when we were leaving, there was these two women. They were nurses. They must have been, you know, pushing. They were around 70, I think. And they had bought all this coca tea. 
And I said, what do you think you're doing? Oh, we're going to bring it home. You know, and it's in these nice little boxes with cellophane <laughs> wrappers and all that. I go, you do realize that's, that's illegal, but it's tea. I said, if it were heroin tea, it would still be heroin. And they're like, they're arguing with me, and I'm like, hello, drug defense lawyer. And, you know, I mean, it was like, it, finally I said, okay, bring it. And they go, well, wait a second. Well, what would happen to us if they found it? I go, not if, but when they find it, when you land mm-hmm. in Miami, that's called drug trafficking. You're looking at 20 years. Perhaps we shouldn't bring it. I go, perhaps you shouldn't. <laughs> oh, dear Lord. You've got a great sense of humor and a great way of putting things to people. I love it. Well, you know, it's like I didn't want to see these ladies get arrested, but they weren't listening to me. And it's like, look, you know, you can call it tea and you can put it in a nice little package, but it's still, you know, it's like if you, you know, had a severed head in your briefcase. Oh, I don't know how that got there. I mean, I've had clients come up with um, the most outrageous stories. And and one of my the and, and all judges have heard this. Um how did the drugs get in your car? Somebody borrowed my car and they left them there. <laughs> now let me tell you something about drug people. They will forget their keys, their cell phone, they'll even leave their baby mm-hmm. somewhere. But there's one thing that they'll never leave. That's their stash, <laughs> okay? <laughs> and so if you're in court and you're trying to persuade a judge that somebody borrowed your car and left their cocaine in it. <laughs> Not going to fly. Not going to fly. So. <laughs> right. Hey, Mark, Amazing. when you, in all the readings that you've done, and I know you mostly talk to the dearly departed and help bring closure and other messages, do you ever encounter... ETs. That's a fascinating question. I've done readings for a number of people who have who claim to have been abductees, um, which means they were abducted by aliens. And two of the people that I've done the readings on, um, one was Nancy Tremaine and one was Calvin Parker, and they have been studied for decades. And and with Calvin Parker, he has been subjected to sodium pentothal, true serum, hypnotherapy, lie detector tests, I mean, for 40-some-odd years, and has passed every single one of them. Um, Nancy Tremaine, same thing. They're, they're, and they're amazing people. And in the readings... Um, the spirits of their loved ones will mention um, the the extraterrestrials. And I've had entities come through that, what's really fascinating is that they appear to be very similar to when I connect with what you would consider to be an angelic entity. And I'm not saying that ETs or aliens or, or angels, but it's this energy type of being that is different than a human spirit. Now, that being said, and I can only imagine what this sounds like to people who, who you know, aren't um, well-versed in this. I approach everything objectively. Spirits mm-hmm. will convey to me information. I convey it to the recipient. I do my best not to jump to conclusions and say, oh, by the way, you know, um, this is Mr. Spock 
uh, coming through for you. Um, I will tell them what I'm seeing, what I'm feeling, and what the message is. So to answer your question, yes, but I always approach it objectively, and I do my best not to jump to conclusions. Mm-hmm. Yep, that makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. How can people get a hold of you, Mark? Like people are texting me, they want to know how they could get a private reading with you, or do you do gallery readings, or what's the best way for them to reach you and schedule something if you're available for that? Well, this Saturday, October 2nd at 10 p.m. Eastern, I'll be conducting a gallery event, an online event sponsored by brightlive.com. And um, tickets are going fast um, and because uh, there's only a limited number of spaces. And to find out about that, to find out about booking a private phone reading with me, to find out about um, getting uh, my books, uh, and, um, and, and please, I invite everyone to sign up for my newsletter, please visit my website, afterlifefrequency.com. Same as my new book, theafterlifefrequency.com. And uh, you can find out about all that. And the event um, this, this Saturday night, I've done a number of events. Um, it's going to be uh, through brightlive.com. They're a fantastic organization. And I'll be connecting uh, attendees with loved ones in spirit. And people say, well, how can you do that online? That's because, remember my theory of the electromagnetic soul, mm-hmm. spirits move at the speed of light, which is electromagnetic energy. And that's why, like when Tisha called, I'm able to do a reading for her. Why? Because her spirits are moving back and forth between the two of us at the speed of light, which is the same speed as the phone call. So, so that's why I'll be doing this event. It's um, an evening of spirit communication, October 2nd, which is this Saturday at 10 p.m. Eastern, 9 p.m. Central, 8 p.m. Mountain, and 7 p.m. Pacific. And how much are the tickets, Mark? Um, you know, Bright Life has set all that up, um, so so you have to go go just go to the website, click on that. Um, I don't want to start saying because if I say something wrong, then people start emailing me and complaining and stuff. So <laughs> complaining. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's a wonderful event, and it's right around the corner. So, so that's a good one. Now, they're wonderful. They really are. Anytime you can be a part of the, even just a part of the audience, it's fascinating. Because Mark, you are a number one. Well, thank you. I I appreciate that, and I, I appreciate that. You know, you've come to my events, and and you know, I'm I'm really looking forward to to when things you know start getting back to a new normal. And, uh, you know, that we can start traveling again. But, you know, like I said, we have this miracle of modern technology, which is allowing us to, to do these events. And, and, you know, just the fact, you know, think about it. You know, we're doing this show. One of you is in New England. One of you is in, in uh, the Southwest. Okay, I'm in a different part of the country, yet we're able to do this. You know, I mean, there was a time when, when trying to do something like this on radio was next to impossible, and now this is an everyday occurrence. I mean, I think that's fantastic. Yeah. It is. Yeah, it does make it so easy. Mm-hmm. No, that is great. No. And now, is what, there is anything next... that you can think of, Mark, that when you were doing a reading for someone individually that really surprised you, that you were, like, really taken aback by what happened or what they had to say to your client? Well, Yes. <laughs> now, I mean, it's like I was I was doing a reading. Well, 
I was in Buffalo, New York, and we got a phone call, and I was with my manager, Rocky, because she travels with me. And I hear her talking to somebody on the phone. She goes, yeah, right. She goes, you're serious? She goes, Mark, Shirley McLean's assistant is on the phone, and Shirley McLean <laughs> wants to interview you for her radio show, Independent Expressions. And I said, when? She said, now. I'm like, what? <laughs> You know, so she hands me the phone, and all of a sudden there's Shirley MacLaine on the phone. You know, the the movie star, the 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 icon, the author. I mean, the first uh, celebrity, the first big celebrity to go public with her her metaphysical beliefs. Mm-hmm. And so she's talking to me, and and we're I was supposed to be on for 20 minutes, but we were on the phone for two hours and 40 minutes because wow. uh, Shirley and I just really hit it off, and she was really great. And she was talking about um, Stephen Hawking, and at the time he was alive. Mm-hmm. And she said that Stephen, you know, was a good friend of hers, and she was in his office. And she said behind his desk um, there were two pictures on the wall, one of Albert Einstein and one of Marilyn Monroe. And she said, well, Stephen, I get the Albert Einstein, but why the Marilyn Monroe? And then she imitates him going, because her curves are more beautiful than a quantum singularity. <laughs> and, and, and so I'm laughing, and, 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 and I said, well, that's a trip, you know. And I said, did you ever meet Marilyn Monroe? You know? And Shirley goes, of course I did. And I'm like, oh, this is cool. I said, so, so, so what happened? She goes, well, she said back in, in the day, she goes, you know, I was part of the Rat Pack. And then I'm like, oh, my God, she was. Mm-hmm. I forgot about that. And so Marilyn was at the dinner that where um, it was JFK's birthday. I remember Marilyn Monroe came out in that really slinky dress and oh, things. Oh, happy yeah, birthday. happy birthday to him. Yeah, well, she said Marilyn was throwing a fit backstage that she didn't want to wear that dress, and one of the producers said, well, Shirley McLean's here, and she's your size. Well, why don't we get her to do it? And so, so they got Shirley you know, to come backstage, and Marilyn's like, fine, I'll do it. All right, so she went out, and she, she sang happy birthday to JFK, and um, and – um, she said that the studios used to play Marilyn and I off against each other all the time. And she goes, wow. it was really dirty what they did. And um, she said that I finally got my big break, which is the movie The Apartment. And she said, so there mm-hmm. we are, um, and, and I'm doing the red carpet event, and it's the premiere of The Apartment, and Marilyn Monroe shows up wearing a full-length fur coat. And she said that it was really hot that night, and everybody was like, what's Marilyn wearing a full-length fur coat for? And halfway through the movie, Marilyn gets up and walks out and goes to the bar. And so Shirley runs out after her and goes, Marilyn, is there a problem? And so we're on the air. Okay, this is like being broadcast. And Shirley said that Marilyn Monroe turned to me and opened up the fur coat, and she was stark naked underneath it. Oh, my God. And, and, and Shirley said... Looking back on it, Stephen Hawking had a point. <laughs> you know? Oh, my God. Um, so I'm laughing, and I go, God, I wonder what Shirley would say about that. And she goes, well, you're the medium. You tell me. Wow. And I'm like, wow, no pressure here. Shirley yeah. McLean, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And and so I just trusted. I just trusted in, in, in the light. I trusted in, in the divine and Marilyn came through and delivered this message for Shirley. And Shirley said, well, that is something Marilyn would have said, and that answers a lot of questions. Wow. And then I go, there's another 
person who has the most beautiful eyes. They're almost like violet. And huh? and Shirley goes, oh, Liz, Liz. she was my dear <laughs> friend. And all of a sudden it dawns on me that I am doing a reading for Shirley MacLaine and the spirits of Marilyn Monroe and Elizabeth Taylor have come through. How amazing. Amazing. Huh? How's that for a surprise? That's a big one. I knew you were there, Mark. I knew it. Yeah, I remember (laughs) I'm sitting there, and I'm like, I don't know if I'm ever going to top this one. (laughs) It's like, oh, my God, you know, it was just amazing. So so before I went, before, you know, um, uh, Shirley hung up, I said, Shirley, I do have to ask you a question. She goes, anything. I said, did Carly Simon really write the song You're So Vain about your brother Warren Beatty? Yeah, right. <laughs> and she goes, I'll never tell. But <laughs> she said, that is the conventional wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> How cute. Oh, my goodness, Mark. What a wonderful evening this has been. Hearing Thank the you. stories you know, and getting well, to know yeah. you better. Well, you know what I love about talking to to you, Patricia and PK, is is yes, we're doing a show, but it feels like we're just sitting at a Starbucks or any coffee house, having a cup of coffee together, and you know, you know, we're just friends and having a conversation. Exactly. And, yeah. yeah. So it, I, I want to. so true. So I want to thank both of you for having me on the show. For all the listeners, I'm Mark Anthony. Tune into Supernatural Girls Radio. Please, these ladies <laughs> are fantastic. You. Well, I know both of them personally, and I can vouch for them. They're they're amazing. They're wonderful. And um, please, I invite everyone to to visit my website afterlifefrequency.com. And I want to thank mm-hmm. both of you for having yes, me on the please. show. I'm I'm honored. Well, thank you so very our much. Our pleasure, oh, Mark. Our and honor. good luck with with everything you thank do. You and we can't wait to get you back on the show. And next week, everybody, we'll be back. And we will be talking about magical transformation. Be sure to join us until then. We'll see you on the Blue Highway. Good night, everyone. Good night. And by the afterlife frequency, it's wonderful. Yes, it's a great book. Good night. Good night. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another radio adventure with Supernatural.